1: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I think we're going to get started. How does uh, Andrew know to, to, to hit live cast? Does he just do it? He, he's, he's amazing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, welcome. I'm going to go ahead and maybe kick us off in some prayer. It doesn't hurt. Wow. While I'm doing that, that'll get, that's the cue to Andrew backstage to turn it, turn it on. The Lord be with you. Awesome. Let us pray. God of love, God of relationship, God of connection. We Give thanks for your presence in our lives. We give thanks for all the ways that we know you through one another. We ask that you would be with us this morning. Bless this conversation. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes, open our ears. Help us to hear one another and help us to hear you moving in our life, calling us to new directions. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, welcome everybody online as well. Um, Just a matter of introduction, if you haven't been with us and you're joining us for the first time, uh, we are doing this series on thriving. And it is coming to us from, uh, we're using this book The Post Traumatic Thriving the Art and Science and Stories of Resilience by Randall Bell, PhD. That's the book we're kind of using as a guide. And the last third of the book walks us through a series of practices for thriving. And that's what this series is doing. Each week we're taking one of the the practices. Why thrive? Because we have all experienced uh, trauma in our lives. Some of us, uh, many times over, and certainly all of us as a nation, we had a collective trauma uh, in the form of this pandemic. So what is trauma? Again, uh, trauma is an experience of injury, loss, or catastrophe, or grief, right? You can imagine a lot more of those. One that we cannot immediately understand, process, narrate, or work through. It's a shock to our system. It upends our life. It kicks the chair out from under us. It pulls the rug out from under us. And everything that we expect, all of our usual routines, all of the ways that we've ordered our lives suddenly becomes disordered. That's trauma. And uh, so we've all experienced it in many different ways. And so uh, Dr. Bell's theory is that um, he's kind of broken down how can we work through the trauma of our lives. So he has a kind of a three-stage cycle. There's the dive stage. That's when trauma hits us. And then there's a kind of, you move into a sort of a survival stage. We get, start to get through it. And then there comes a point where we begin to integrate uh, the trauma of our lives, and so we do more than simply uh, survive, we begin to actually thrive. Uh, Father Bill has been describing uh, survival is when the exterior events that rocked your world start to get better, and thriving is when we start to get better from within, irrespective perhaps of the exterior events ever getting better, all right? So in that Thrive Cycle, we have um, five practices, connection, forgiveness, resilience, gratitude. And last week, we began with the first one, which was faith. So today, we're on practice number two, which is connection. So uh, Bell says of connection, to get to the thriving stage of trauma, it is essential to find a trustworthy person and talk about our innermost feelings. That, I think, is his definition of connection. Having a trusted friend, having a trusted companion, having a confidant that you can share your life with, share the challenges you're going through with, and whom you can trust. That they're not going to gossip, they're not going to judge, they're not going to try to fix you, but they're going to be a compassionate listener. We all need those people in our life. And that's connection, a vital part of thriving. And of course, as Christians, uh, that should not come as a surprise. Uh, We preached about this a couple weeks ago, right? From the beginning, God, uh, in Genesis 1, God creates creation and it is good. But then we get to the second chapter of Genesis and suddenly there's something that's not good. And that is the human being that God created is alone, right? Right? It is not good that this person should be alone, and so I will make him a helper as his partner. We are wired for community, we are wired for connection. It is not good for us to be alone. And I've been mentioning this from time to time, way before th- this pandemic, there is, had been and continues to be an epidemic in this country about loneliness. That has been in the news, it's been in the conversation for years, that we are somehow becoming increasingly isolated, and I think in some ways the pandemic just increased that. So if you hear this class is nothing more, it is a plea for you to take the risk of connection, if that is at all your experience right now. Um, So his thesis, We Must Connect to Thrive, and he points out a Harvard study of 7,000 people over nine years that showed that uh, of those folks, the people who lacked community were three times more likely to become ill. And you can Google more uh, countless studies along those lines. Have you all heard that before? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things he begins to begin the chapter on is this idea that we uh, birds of a feather, we are kind of naturally tribal, that there's something in us uh, that draws us into community and that we tend to uh, look for something that we might have in common as we try to connect, right? Um, when we find something in common, it becomes easier. And one of my favorite examples uh, comes from the the 1968 Planet of the Apes movie. <laughs> Is there any, any fans out there? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Great movie. Anyway, uh, one of the things, the phenomenons they noticed uh, on the set of, of the Planet of the Apes was that uh, they had hundreds of extras dressed as these different uh, apes, right? Orangutans, chimpanzees, and gorillas. Anyway, so they have all these... Um, uh, Extras, many of whom, by the way, know each other because they're kind of like, in, in Hollywood, there's this community of extras that just, they're, on every, they're always trying to get on every movie. Anyway, so during the lunch break, you know, after they go to the commissary um, to, get, to get lunch, they're still wearing their costumes because once they got all those appliances on, they couldn't take them off and they had to eat with them on, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, say I know way too much about this. This is my, my nerd. My nerd is coming out, sorry. But anyway... Um, they noticed something that all of the apes segregated themselves and ate with the fellow chimpanzees, the, you know, and, and they didn't design that at all. It was just a big set of tables. They could have sat anywhere they wanted. They could have sat with some of their friends, right? Who happened to be cast as a gorilla. But no, they segregated naturally for whatever reason uh, by uh, whatever they were dressed as. And it, it was just a reminder to me that We, uh, in our communities, and our connections, when we have nothing else to go on, that will actually sometimes just latch on to the simplest, silliest kind of thing. Um, The movie Titanic, same thing happened on the set on Titanic. Hundreds of extras, first class ate with first class, second class extras stayed with the second class, and the steerage extras hung out with the steerage extras. It was just one of those things, right? And we probably all had experiences like that. at parties when you go into a big room, and he offers the example of a bunch of strangers put together, a bunch of strangers in the room, and invariably the outgoing people might group with the outgoing people, and they'll all be having a wonderful time somewhere, laughing, you can hear them. The quiet folks, the introverts, will kind of group together, and they'll be having a more thoughtful conversation that's a little bit quieter. And the toxic people will be all clustered in the corner complaining, and gossiping about everybody else, right? <laughs> um, and you know, then he uses that as, a, as kind of a humorous example, but I think we can probably all think of um, organizations we've been part of, churches we've been part of, groups we've been a part of, where you sort of see that dynamic play out, yeah? Do I get an amen on that at all? Does he get an amen? Amen. Yeah, <clears throat> all right, so one of the first points he makes is then, if we're gonna connect, if connect is such a key part of thriving, then we need to pay attention to who we connect with, all right? And he makes this comment, we are the product of the five or six people that we spend the most time with. And he uses this term called sympathetic resonance, and he tries to apply it uh, to human relationships. And it's that idea that we all kind of have a vibe, right? We have a vibe, and we give off that vibe, And that vibe sort of uh, draws other people to us that have that similar vibe. We get into a resonance with each other, yeah? Um, And so one of his points is, if you want to thrive, be aware of your vibe. (laughs) What is your vibe right now? Are you needy? Are you joyful? Are you lost? Are you grieving? Be aware of your vibe because your vibe will likely cause you to Attract and be with other folks of that similar vibe. And if you want to change your vibe, then you need to uh, uh, begin to move into other groups of folks who will help to support you and lift you up. So he says, if you want love, healing, humility, and kindness, we need to cultivate that vibe within us and others on the same frequency will be attracted to it. So we need to work on that within ourselves and... (laughs) Uh, I I, I would add to that, uh, moving into groups of joyful people, if you're not feeling it yet, that can have an impact on you, that can help to change your inner vibe, your resonance as well. Has anyone experienced that? It kind of works both ways, doesn't it? Yeah. Let's see a lot of nodding hands. By the way, folks online, as we're going, if you have a question or you have a comment, put it in the chat box, hit submit, and we'll read it here in real time, okay, so please Participate. So I just want to throw some examples, you know. Think about, you know, times in your life when you want to get healthy, for example. You want to start eating better. Um, who, who, you know, you need to get your spouse on board with that idea, don't you? <laughs> you know? Um, when you want to stay sober, right? That's a classic example. I had a dear friend who was getting sober in his life. Problem was, he never developed new relationships. So he only had people at the bar to hang out with. And so he would go and hang out with the people at the bar. And he would have his Diet Coke for a while. And over time, it became hard for him to stay sober because he just couldn't gather with anyone else. He found that they were boring to hang out with unless he was drinking, <laughs> that, was his, that was his discovery. Um, if you need acceptance or love in yourself, right? You need to be. You need to move away from people who are not giving you that love and giving you that acceptance. And we see that. I see that. For example, uh, in our newcomer gatherings here at Christ Church Cranbrook, when invariably at every gathering there are three or four people who have come to this church because the last church they were at wasn't giving them that love and that acceptance. And so they're coming here knowing that if they're going to become the person God wants them to be, if they're going to become the full person they can be, if they're going to live to their potential, then they need to be in a community that supports them in that, that lifts them up in that, right? That celebrates them for that. And that can be a hard thing to do, but it can be a very courageous and liberating and healthy thing to do. And um, I think for every three or four people that we get like that, I, I wonder and pray and, 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 and worry about the thousands who don't. Um, and Anyway, you can go on and on, right? Well, if you're grieving, going through grief together, what a, you know, we have a grief group here. So you can be in community with each other along the way. So his point about, about community uh, works kind of both ways in that it can not only help us to thrive after trauma, but community can also serve as a buffer to reduce the impact of trauma when it comes. So there's this buffer theory that the presence of a social support system helps buffer or shield shield us from the negative impact of stressful events. We're still going to experience them, they just won't be quite as devastating. Does that make sense? It's, it's pretty intuitive, I think, isn't it? Yeah? So far so good? so his next point, his big kind of number two, I think, is um, then how we connect matters, how we connect. So not just who we connect with, but how we connect. And he offers some classic uh, pointers for uh, communication and relationships. Uh, first one being sort of active listening. When you're when you with somebody who you are in relationship with, being an, a listener, being fully present to them, not being on their phone on your phone when they're trying to share with you. You know, I I violate this at home all the time with Joe, my husband. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to fall into that has, in that into those habits, but being fully present, mirroring back what they say to you. You know, if whenever you hear somebody say, "I hear you saying," they are mirroring back to you. It's a wonderful little practice and one that you can reverse, because if you really want to hear each other, um, I think unless you mirror back and then ask them, am I getting you right? Did I hear you right? You will be surprised how often they say, well, not quite. And that's okay. That's how it's supposed to go. You continue that little process until you actually are hearing each other. Uh, He makes the point about being attuned to, to mood, right? Again pretty obvious kinds of building blocks of human relationships, but it's one that I think we can forget about sometimes or lose track of or get um, sloppy about, right? When somebody comes to us, they say, you know, Chris, I need to talk to you, right? They are sending me a clear signal of their mood. They're tuned. And and if you're intentional about your relationship with that person, you wanna think about adjusting your mood to, to kind of be in sync with theirs. You know, so you wanna give them their focus attention. Lower your voice. Realize they're trying to tell you something serious. This is not a good time to joke. Turn off the TV, you know. Um, another one is to be in sync with the mode of their communication. Uh, this one gets the relationships at, at sixes and sevens all the time when somebody, um, uh, Tells, tells us something in person that's very you know, vulnerable. They're sharing something about themselves. Maybe it was a conflict they're having with you. Maybe it was an argument, whatever it happens to be. And you, know, you decide to respond to them, not on the spot, but maybe in a big, long email later that day or in a text. And it's nice that you responded. It's nice that you thought about it. But you might want to be thoughtful about, am I Am I not mirroring their mode of communication? If they wanted to talk to me about this in person, suddenly I'm just shooting them emails. And that can be less personal and all the rest of it. And it can send a signal that we don't intend. Uh, another one is to be aware of the lang- of language, They're different languages. Is anybody familiar with that book? Uh, the, what is it? The Five Languages of Love? Five Love Languages, five love languages yeah. We use, I use it in the, in the premarital preps that we do here. Um, it can, just because it, it opens up this idea that we have different ways of communicating and receiving love. So what are some of the love languages? What's, what, what's yours? Who, who, those of you who know yours, what's yours? What's your... Words, words of encouragement. Yeah. Acts of, acts of service. So if I'm in relationship with you, Hannah, and your acts of service, and I never really acknowledge what you're doing, I just say stuff like, you know, you're doing. You're you're just a nice person, or uh, I or if my if I if my love language is gifts, and I want to give you gifts all the time, I give you gifts instead of noticing and talking about and thanking you for your acts of service. It's like we're doing this. It's like we're having a disconnect. So it's how you receive love, and knowing be, being thoughtful enough being mindful enough of the other to know their language and to occasionally speak their language back to them. So if their language is acts of service, do something to serve them. And if, you're, if, if theirs is, is giving gifts... You know, occasionally walk on the wild side and give them a gift, <laughs> even though it's not your thing, right? Because I'm the one that's going, hello, I take the, I take the garbage out every night. I, I cook the, do this, I repair this, I, da, 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 da. I do all these acts of service, why am I not getting any credit for them? Well, their, their language is something different. It doesn't mean they don't care, it just means they're trying to communicate with you in a different level. So learning that about each other, being mindful of that, is part of good relationships. Um, it's part of the reason why I think we, you know, there's studies on how many relationships can we really maintain and really nurture and, you know, people have come up with different numbers, but there is a limit. So, you know, you can get on Facebook and you can have a thousand friends or two thousand friends or whatever, and you can fool yourself into thinking you're really in relationship with those folks. You know, we're really not, not this type of deep relationship. And then finally he makes the point, know yourself, know your feelings, check yourself, know what's going on in your life. So when somebody wants to connect with you, you can kind of know your mood. Are you in the right frame of mind to connect with them in this way? Are you in a rush? Are you in a terrible mood? You know, be, be aware of your own, yourself. And he, he expands on these types of communication um, by offering four types of communication, which can be another tool for seeing how we relate to one another. Um, has anyone seen these before? The four types of... So the first one being passive communicators. Uh, passive communicators tend to yield to others. They tend to not fully or not at all express themselves. They tend to want to avoid conflict in communication. They like to keep the peace. You'll sometimes notice they won't take you know make eye contact. Maybe they have an inability to say no. These are just bullets of that. Uh, Can anyone relate to those? Is there any passive communicators here? I don't think we're all one type. I'm passive sometimes in different circumstances. When would it be helpful to be a passive communicator? Anybody have a thought on that? When you're dealing with somebody who's really aggressive and you just want to check out, they're they're being super aggressive on you and you're like, I'm not gonna go there. Fine, whatever you say, it all sounds good. (laughs) Yeah, any other thoughts? I think that's a pretty good example. Um, Okay, so another type of communication, the the ideal one will be last, okay? So these are all sort of presented as not ideal, but they all perhaps have a role. Aggressive communication, harsh, overbearing, they tend to be blaming, intimidating, criticizing, threatening, loud, Lots of direct eye contact. They don't tend to be great listeners. They tend to wanna to win, the, win the conversation like it's an argument. Yeah. It's not about, I need to hear you. <laughs> They're not, they don't say, I'm hearing you say very often. Anybody know, anybody can relate to the aggressive style from time to time? I, I will admit, when, I, when Joe, uh, my husband says, you're going into lawyer mode again, Chris. That's his code for I'm going into this mode. <laughs> that's, that's how he describes it. I want to win the argument, you know? And it, that, this is one I have to watch in my own life. Is there a role for aggressive communication ever? Anyone throw, throw it out if you, if you have. When would you want to be aggressive? I see, I see Joe right next to you, Manisha.
2: Maybe if you're in a situation where there's not clarity... And people are confused, and people are upset because there is not clarity.
1: Yeah, when there, it's time of crisis, it's a crowd, right? There's a fire in the church. Go! <laughs> it's time for an aggressive converse, uh, communication style in that moment, isn't it? It's not a time to go. Okay, there's a fire in this place. I need to hear everybody's thoughts on this. <laughs> I'm hearing you say we may sh- should leave. Anybody else? What do you have? You know. Yeah. Any, any other? Okay.
0: <clears throat> in order to protect someone?
1: In order to protect somebody? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe you really need to be directive with somebody. You know? You need to get out of the house. <laughs> you need to leave. I remember saying that to my cli- to clients when I was a, 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 a divorce attorney for a brief period of time. When they were in abusive relationships. Oh, they want to tell me all these little scenarios and things. And I'm saying, no, no, no. Stop, stop, stop. Get out. You need to leave. You don't need to explain. You don't need to make excuses. You don't need to talk about future timetable. Just get out. You need to get out of that situation. That was a time for, I think, aggressive, perhaps, yeah. All right, and then our third one, everyone's favorite. (laughs) Passive aggressive, you draw a little bit from each. (laughs) Um, Passive on the surface, but within feels powerless or stuck which then leads them to build resentments, which then comes out in other ways later. Subtle, perhaps not so subtle, but little secret gossip, sabotaging, criticism. What do we call it? Parking lot conversation. We know some passive aggressive people in our lives. Have we been passive aggressive? You know, I, 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 I don't know about you, but I feel like I, 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 I dip into all of these from time to time, depending on the situation. <clears throat> and so the ideal one that uh, he wants to lift up is to be assertive. Not passive, not aggressive, not passive-aggressive, but to be assertive. To speak up, but in a way that is calm, non-reactive, and respectful of others. One that can clearly communicates your position, but also considers the needs of others, right? Classic, Anglican, both and. You know, I'm going to speak my truth, and I'm, that I'm going to be a patient listener of your truth. It's a kind of an attempt to have to, uh, for a dialogue, for a win-win. Um... That, that is the one he wants to lift up, and he, he offers this kind of respect, you know, he ties it to respect, or rather he cites uh, Elizabeth Lombardo, who is the author of Better Than Perfect, and she offers this kind of grid to, to remind us that our communication styles have a lot to say about, our, about respect. So if we are passive-aggressive, for example, we are probably not really respecting ourselves or the other person. If we are passive in our communication style, we're offering a lot of respect to them, right? We're letting them just railroad all over, but we're not really respecting ourselves. We're disrespecting ourselves because we're not finding the courage to speak our truth. Okay? Aggressive disrespects others. Plenty of respect for yourself when you're the dominating aggressive communicator. Because we're right, after all, right? We just need to make this clear for everybody so we can all get on the right page. Uh, I, if, when I'm in my aggressive communication style, I am sadly, okay, not showing the most amount of respect for everybody else. And then assertive is, the ide- is where we want to be as often as we can, and that's where you're showing respect both for your opinion and for the others, okay? So that's the, so, so from a Christian perspective, this is loving your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> so all of the, you know, this is kind of where we start, maybe some, of the, some combinations of these, and we always wanna be moving more and more to um, being more assertive in our conversation because that's a sign of our love for ourselves and for the other. All right, so assertive, most effective. It offers mutual respect, as I just said. Most conducive to dialogue. It's the only style that directly leads to mutual understanding, trust, and deeper relationship. That's, that's not Belle, that's me. <laughs> and, and feel free to disagree with that, but I just don't see how those other styles of communication directly lead to mutual understanding or trust or deeper relationship. When I'm aggressive with somebody, I may win, but I don't know them any bit better than I, than I began. And they're probably not feeling really close to me. You know? Uh, when I'm passive and I just sort of check out, again, it's the, other, it's the same thing on the other side. They, know noth- they learn nothing about me. And I you know, discount myself and I, it's almost like I check out of the conversation, I'm checking out, out of the relationship in some way. Does that make sense? So he also says, it's in, 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 the, in the realm of trauma, assertive communication is the only one that heals. All of the other forms uh, have in common two things. Uh, our needs are not met, and the wounds of past traumas are not healed. So if assertive is so good, what keeps us from doing that all the time? (laughs) What, if assertive is the ideal, what keeps us from being assertive? By the way, does anybody know anyone in their life who's a good assertive communicator? Who's consistently assertive, yeah? Can you think of somebody? Is it okay if I call you out, Pastor Manisha? (laughs) I think you're a good, you know, assertive communicator in my life. She's a model for me on being an assertive communicator.
0: It's funny, I, I, I was thinking the same with my clergy colleagues and thinking, oh my God, I have so much work to do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I think um, I think that that both Father Bill and Father Chris um, you know, practice this um, on behalf of creating really excellent relationships, right? I mean, that that is the whole reason and, um, so that the relationships will grow and the relationships will thrive. And so um, learning how to, to respect uh, another person through the deep connections that you have through communications. I mean, it's just, it's beautifully, it's beautifully laid out, Father Chris, thank you.
1: Yeah, and I think, I think in some ways, our little cr- clergy group here is, is, a, is a little bit of proof of point of his resonance idea. We do kind of, I think, lift each other up and get better at this because we're all trying to practice it. Okay, so we're so great. Who do you know? (laughs) By the way, yeah, I I think she's way better at it than I am. (laughs) Anyone else? Do you know someone who's assertive in your life? Yeah.
3: Um, Oh, sorry. I immediately thought of two pastors when I was a teenager who were models for me. And they were both, in addition to being pastors, they were also clinical psychologists and they were very good models for us in the youth group when we were trying to figure out how to be adults.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, back there.
0: Well, being a professional nurse of 42 years, being assertive, most nurses are effective with their patient and communication being assertive because you're listening, you're doing all those things, and the one thing that prevents being assertive is allowing own emotion and feelings to take over. It's about control and hmm. really listening and responding to what they what what they're trying to get across. And then you can diffuse those other form of communications with your assertion. So,
1: yeah. And when you say control, you mean controlling yourself, not Absolutely. the other person. Yes. Yeah, exactly. They control you. Yeah. So so what what so that's great. So that that gets to one of the you know there's uh, these are just some reasons why I think it's hard to be assertive, right? Um, many of us. I don't know about you, but in my family, you know, I came from a divorced family. There was a lot of unpeace in our family, and so I was raised to do everything I could to keep the peace. As the oldest child, trying to hold things together emotionally in the family system, um, I was raised to keep the peace. Uh, anybody else relate to that? Or you know, another factor with um, not being assertive is inability to say no. We have a hard time saying no. We're people pleasers, right? We want to keep the peace and we think that that's the way. But have you heard the term, right? The Roman peace, the false peace, right? The peace, it's the peace of, it's the lack of violence, the absence of, of violence as peace. But that's not the peace that Jesus, is, is, the gospel, is calling us to, right? That's the peace that passes all understanding. That's the peace where it, that is founded on the presence of justice where there's a, a, the peace is, the, is founded on the presence of community, of, of equality, of beloved children of God in relationship with other beloved children of God. Um, so when we keep the peace, that keep that false peace. We're just sort of agents for dysfunction. Um, it's countercultural. Does anybody experience this? When you are assertive in conversation, do you ever feel like maybe people are judging you as being... Pushy? Women? Do you, ever, do you ever wonder? or Do people call you a, you know, B-I-T-C-H? If you're assertive, there are men who will call women a bitch just for being assertive because of their cultural style is that, you know, women shouldn't, shouldn't speak up. Uh, saying no does feel confrontational, doesn't it? <laughs> It just—you can't help it. When you say no to somebody that you're in a relationship with, or trying to build relationship with, or trying to get into a deeper relationship, saying no to them feels like you're putting the stop sign up. But in reality, if you can hang in there, it is actually the, the doorway into deeper relationship. If you let it, because they're going to get—you're going to—if you can hang in the conversation, you speak your truth in a way that is non-reactive and you let them speak their truth, you don't have to agree, but you know you're know you gonna end that conversation knowing each other better than when you left and perhaps respecting each other more because you now know where they're coming from. I, here's a big one for me. Being assertive takes time and patience, doesn't it? I, I, I experience this all the time. I shortcut to aggressive communication because I'm in a rush. We gotta get the decision made. This meeting is 20 minutes over over long. This thing's got to be, hey, we got to get to the printers tomorrow. The the time is now. Boom. (laughs) That's when when I'll go to the aggressive to kind of, because I'm not taking the time. I haven't built in time. Or I just don't have the patience. Um, And it requires self-confidence. Is that true for you? Yeah. You have to have confidence in yourself to be able to speak your truth. Any, others? Any other reasons why, we, why assertive is, is hard? Yeah, Sue.
0: If you're a child.
1: Oh, if yeah, you're a child. If you're a child growing up,
0: and you have parents that fight all the time, and you want to keep the peace. Yeah. And you can't say no because they're your parents. You have to do what they say. Yeah. So, as I tell my children, God isn't finished with me yet. And
1: that's how I felt back then. Yeah. I, you know, I think that is, in a sense, that is almost the demarcation between childhood and adulthood in our parental relationships, isn't it? When we can speak our truth to our parent in love and tell them, not no as a pure defiance, but no as in, I have a different idea for my life. And when they start to now, okay, tell me more about that. You know, that's, that's the maturing of your relationship. Go ahead, Father Bill.
4: Yeah, I just wanted to add to what Sue just brought up. I think one of the layers when it comes to family systems is if you if you had addiction in your family, there's these these four roles that you tend to fall into as a child uh, or as the um, spouse of the person who is struggling with addiction: uh, nurse, star, rebel. Um, I forget the the, the other one because it didn't apply to me so the um, but you know that's the in these um, and these these roles are become your default so hmm. the nurse will be the person who kind of cleans up after the event or after the temper tantrum or after the drunk um, to, to, to just make things better the star tries to achieve and somehow show the world that the family is you know okay and not damaged or dysfunctional, and the rebel is the person who just bugs out and leaves. And I think all of that interacts with the kind of communication styles that we fall into because Mm. if we've been scripted to be the nurse, for example, it's gonna be hard for us to be assertive. And if we've been scripted to be the rebel, believe it or not, I think that actually makes it um, hard too because rebels just leave, you know, or they provoke, or they, they don't, but they're not actually, they're being passive aggressive rather than assertive. You
1: know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, knowing our scripts, uh, what, what is the role that we've been, that we've kind of come to play? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so I'll just leave this one topic with this idea. This, uh, he offers this quote from Martin Luther King. Oh, go ahead, yeah.
3: Um, I think uh, underlying what everybody is saying is <clears throat> any relationship or a system where there's a power differential, it's very difficult for the person of lower status, less education, um, whatever it might be, family member, um, to be assertive under those circumstances because it's counter-cultural within that, within those uh, yeah. systems.
1: Uh, that's a huge one that I didn't list that as thank you. Yeah, that's huge, the power relationship differential. And by the way, that's that can, um, so as you think about the kingdom of God that we're called to build, how can you be an instrument for introducing that type of communication in a, in a classic you know, work environment or a corporate environment where there is that power of differentiation, differentiation? How can you be an agent for creating safe space so that people can speak their truth, even if they're on the lowest rung on the totem pole? That's, that's practicing your faith in the workplace in a powerful way. You know, you don't have to just do, you know, say the Lord's Prayer at at the open-up meetings. You know, it could also change the way you do meetings to resemble that type of um, equality and kingdom of God values. So, yeah, that's huge. And so, uh, I love this quote from Dr. Martin Luther King. Our lives begin to end on the day we become silent about things that matter. And that's something that just, I think, that's such a powerful reminder to me when I'm inclined to be Silent in the face of injustice, in the face of bullying, in the face of somebody who's being aggressive. Maybe I'm in the power relationship where I can, you know, I can ride it out. I, I, it doesn't threaten me. But am I sticking up for that person, for the other people? And, uh, you know, we're called to, to live, to, to thrive. And you can't thrive by, in, in that kind of silent suffering. Uh, the last, uh, I'm just going to end on these last couple. Um, you know, he reminds us to be aware of toxic relationships and toxic systems. As we, as we go out into the wild world of relationships and connections, uh, be on the lookout for the toxic ones. Um, and one of the takeaways I took out of his comments was this reminder that anyone can be in one, anyone can get into one. I sort of have, the, when I hear the conversation about toxic relationships, I sort of have this built-in Oh yeah, but I, that's not me. I would never do that. But um, he makes a point. You know, it's really easy. All of us can get into it and probably have been in, in them, to varying degrees. Um, they, they why part of the reason is they start off great. You know, toxic relationships start off usually pretty good. You know, they love bomb you. They um, lots of praise, charisma. Uh, they draw you in. Yeah. Uh, but then over time, it starts to reveal that it's really about control and demanding loyalty and diminishing of yourself so that you don't speak your truth. And, uh, and then one of, the, one of the byproducts of that is we just become too exhausted uh, to risk leaving them so we can get stuck in them. Um, there's, I mean, obviously, this, this topic of toxic relationships and toxic systems is huge and he doesn't spend a lot of time on it but it's important that you be uh, aware of them because it goes back to that earlier point about moving yourself into, relationship, into relationships, move away from those kinds of relationships and towards healthy relationships where there's, mutual, there's mutuality and support and encouragement where you are thriving, where, you, where your relationships and friendships help you to be more than you are, help you to not because there's anything wrong with you but because you know you're being freed to be more yourself those are the those are healthy relationships the toxic ones want to keep you in control and keep you from asking questions and diminish you from from being anybody you don't, you're not you become less of a person in toxic relationships because you're really just a tool of their control and their interests and their system their agenda yeah Anybody want to say anything about toxic relationships? I think, yeah, Sue.
0: Um, We all have friends that have been in toxic relationships, and when you walk, you know, they share a lot. And you listen, and you're worried about your friend. How do you encourage them? There's no Christ Church. How do you encourage them to find help? Because you're
1: worried about them. anybody have some thoughts for how could you help somebody that you know is in a toxic relationship and you want to encourage them to, to move away from it or move out of it. Yeah. So Manisha's getting a workout here.
3: Get <laughs> aggressive.
1: Get get aggressive. Get out. Trust me. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: In my experience um, in coming from toxic relationships with others and having that manifest in my life, I found that uh, going out volunteering in the community uh, locally um, put me around people that had a grateful heart and a lot of love, and it also showed me that there were other people out there suffering, maybe in a different way, but through that it helped me see a bigger world i wasn't in the toxic bubble and um just by being of service and showing up and, and just getting out of that that toxic thinking and being around positive loving people whether it was through volunteering in a church or a shelter or, or wherever really really helped and it put things in perspective and i started to feel better and wanted to do better for mm-hmm. myself through god that's Yeah, get into
1: resonance with others who are serving, loving others, getting outside of yourself. Any other thoughts? I wish I knew the bullet point because I I have a few people in mind that I would love to get out of their Um, relationships.
0: I just want to say sometimes if you're trying to help your friend, um, you have to be aware that the first thing you need to do is protect yourself. So sometimes when you're trying to help your friend and they keep going back to the scenario, now this happened but they keep going back to the relationship again and again, and you've tried to nurture them, you've tried to give them support, you've tried to give them resources, but it's just not going anywhere, maybe it's time to step back and just protect yourself from that. Because that can be really, I've experienced that, and that can be really harmful to you, trying to be a savior to someone who maybe doesn't want to be
4: saved.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, the what is the instructions on the airline? Before you put the mask on the other person, get it on yourself. <laughs> yeah.
2: So I guess related to the comment about getting aggressive, for me, what's been effective with friends who've come to me when I've been sort of in toxic systems or in friendships that haven't been good is when someone says, hey, this is, like, I love you, and this is what I'm, I'm feeling. This is what I'm reading on you. Like, I'm realizing, like, Maybe you're, you're more distant than you were before, or you're, you know, last week we were having this conversation and you kind of lashed out at me, and maybe I'm mistaken, but this is what I'm reading. I'm reading a change. Is there anything you want to talk about? And for me, that humility to do that, that, uh, that vulnerability opened me up to talk more about what was actually going on and discover something I didn't even realize was cooking inside of me. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. Good. Tom.
3: So for for decades, I worked in a legal environment within the federal government. And one of the things that I became aware of, because most of the people I worked with were lawyers or people with master's degrees or PhDs, was I felt like I was swimming with sharks all the time. And I wish that we had had in graduate school uh, more classes like this. I mean, we learned in graduate school a lot of hard, I was in an administrative program. And so we learned hard skills like cost-benefit analysis and how to analyze inflation over time and the time value of money, all sorts of hard skills. But I think most of us graduated without much related to this HR stuff. I, I learned that I couldn't trust HR in the legal environment in which I worked. I couldn't go to HR. And so I was always trying to figure out how can I not become a shark while swimming with these sharks? Mm. It was a very tense environment, and I wish more of us had things like this along the way that we could have learned.
1: Yeah, I agree. Having been a lawyer, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one, one thought. I, you know, let's not forget about the gospel. You know, sharing with somebody the gospel, the gospel of that you are beloved, you are a child of God, you are loved and beloved for who you are, despite what any of these people, these systems that you are in or maybe are saying about you. You are loved. And they may not believe it. They're not going to believe that, frankly, I don't think. But they start to hear it, and they start to wonder, and it starts to maybe, maybe start to take some root. You know, it's like the throwing of the seeds. Um, the gospel can, can break you out of these things because the gospel, if you can actually take it into your heart then you're going to say to yourself, what the heck was I doing in that relationship? Um, but I can't, I can't tell you how, many, how often I've seen people leave, say, toxic environments like a toxic church that had told them over and over again that they are not okay, they are not beloved, they need to be fixed, they need to be corrected, they need to be shipped off to a camp somewhere to be reprogrammed. And they come to this church and it's like liberation. But then sometimes there's like a honeymoon period. And then like three, four, five months later, you can just see the old wheels taking root again. The deep-seated, I'm not okay message. And, they, 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 and it's like, do you really believe it? Do you really believe it? That's, the, that's where the real work of, I think, getting healthy starts to begin.
0: I just wanna say, I don't believe you can change a toxic person, but you can change yourself by surrounding yourself, just like what you said, with all kinds of positivities, try to be the best
4: person you can be
0: and work on certain goals regarding that, so. Yeah.
1: All right, so let's, um, I think we're gonna finish up here. His, his and okay, and then one of Bell's um, suggestions is, and some of you have touched on this, is this idea of, of boundaries. Whoops, did it, uh, we lost our uh, connection, didn't we? It's um,
4: a pretty picture. <laughs> you know, I, was, I thought, yeah, let's just make that,
1: you know, a boundary, right? Think about it. You got it. It's right there. Yeah, Connection, boundary, it's but, but actually, you, your, your comment alludes to this last point, which is um, all of us have an energy field around us of which we are the gatekeeper. We are the gatekeeper of it. And so who we allow into our space, we have to be aware of that. And so becoming aware of their... Um, of them is important. I, I, we may not get this last slide up, but that's okay. It was the last slide. But he had this um, diagram of a kind of uh, this this <laughs> pictorial image of us as a person with this kind of force field around us. And in, in, into, into our life comes people with all kinds of energy, you know, um, uh, critical energy, judge, judging energy, um, grievance, complainers, and you know, do we want to let them into our field? Do we want to let them in so we can fix and change them? Or do we want to just remind ourselves life's too short and we need to may perhaps uh, speak to them truth in love but hang out with those who are going to lift us up and build us up um, into the person that God would have us be. And so that's, uh, that's kind of, uh, I think, his, his message on connection. Um, and I had... Uh, as a, as a kind of discussion questions, um, a couple of points, maybe as, as you go home today or at home, you can ask yourself, you know, uh, am I connecting with others right now? Do I feel like I'm connecting? Do I have those deep relationships? Not the Facebook ones, not the little sips of relationship, the little, you know, thumbs ups that we get for our post, but, but somebody that we've can really break bread with, that we can have a deep conversation with, that we can have coffee with, that we can share our life with, that we can be vulnerable with. Yeah.
0: I, I was, um, I, guess, I guess the one query I have, the one challenge I have, is um, the discomfort of labeling some people as toxic. And um, I think people do, do toxic things, but I, I just, I think the gospel, challenges me to, um, to refuse to think of someone as not redeemable, and therefore, um, the gift of relationship, I think, is something that um, I take seriously, and I, I'm just not really sure how to navigate that. The only thing I could think of is I just don't have to do it alone, right? That's, that's the purpose of the church the church allows us to interact with one another and when there's particularly one person who's incredibly difficult um, has some pain or is being um, is being less than themselves that uh, that I don't want to break relationship with them and and Bell doesn't really care for that I mean to be clear you know that's not his thing Um, but I think it is our thing so um, I just I've been working that out as you've been
1: doing amazing presentations. That is a fantastic reminder. Absolutely. I think it's a both and, right? I think Bell would say, um, check yourself. Where are you on the healthy perspective? Are you in a place where you can help redeem somebody? Or are you, you know, needing to build yourself up first? Do you need to put the mask on yourself before you can help them with theirs? I think it's a both and. Yeah, so... Uh, By all means, please don't ever think of anyone as toxic, therefore unredeemable, or write them off. I mean, we've all had our moments. I've been controlling. I've I've had dips into the toxic pool. I'm sure, if I really think about it. Um, We all have our moments. I'm very Richard Orr about these things. Don't think of it as this binary kind of construct, this dualistic sort of approach. They are that, I'm not. I'm healthy, they're not. It's a gradation. Right? Just like in those communication styles. I think we, we dip into all of those pools. Uh, the, the hope is that we know where we want to be, and we help to move in that direction and help each other to do so. So yeah. So I'll just end with these last couple of questions for further reflection. Um, who am I connecting with? Am I connecting with anybody? Um, if you take nothing out of this pr- presentation, start there. Connect, connect with others. Uh, what is the vibe I give off? Who am I attracting to myself? Who am I surrounding myself with? And uh, do I need, need to make a change? Who can I minister to? And who do I, need to, do I need to be ministered to myself right now? Those are the questions I perhaps to ask in our relationships. I think with that, any other final words for the good of the order?
0: That's why we're here.
1: That's why we're here. Yeah, yeah. Amen. All right, anybody want to close us out in prayer?
4: Also, with you. Let us pray. Ooh. We thank you, dear God, for all the ways in which you have immersed us with each other and the connections you have created in our lives. We lift up and place into your hands all of those connections, those that give us life and meaning and purpose and joy, and those that touch us or wound us or smother us, or try to somehow pigeonhole us and keep us from flourishing and thriving. We know that you have a plan in all of the relationships that we are in. That you have been careful to imagine this day and imagine us as immersed in all of them because you are redeeming all things and reconciling all things through your son Jesus. Help us to grow into the people you have created us to be. Help us to think rightly about ourselves as beloved by you. Help us to connect in ways that are authentic and life-giving with others. Help us to draw the boundaries that we need to draw in our lives so that we do not become overly attached to anything that is not yours and that we see you in all things and follow you wherever we go. And most of all, help us to return the love language you speak to us in your son,
1: Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, those of you at home. See you next week, same time.